Okay, awesome. And yeah, we're going to keep this series going for two more weeks. So this week and next week, and then we'll finish up. So um, yeah, it's really awesome you've been enjoying it. It's been so good the last two weeks just to eat together. Um, it was awesome doing potluck last week. And I suppose kind of what we're talking about in this series is like this seems so simple, like just eating food together, um, but is powerful. There's something powerful about sitting down with someone, taking time, sharing life. Food is this intimate this, this relational expression of love and community and, and it's something that's kind of been lost in our society but it's actually really powerful for the church and last week we said um, as we do this it's a time to celebrate and actually our community is a community of celebration and joy because of Jesus because of his kingdom because of who he is because of what he's doing there's so many problems in the world but there's also God's light and God's goodness that's breaking in so we don't deny the darkness but we focus on the light and we rejoice together and what we're doing this week is kind of continuing this idea that, again, this is something small but powerful for our church community, but can also be small and powerful for the whole world. Because it's not just us that we're to eat with, but people who don't know Jesus, people, people outside. And actually, the table can actually not just be a tool and a, and a practice to grow us together, but to actually unite us with people that Jesus wants to reach. And again, like, this seems small. But we're going to look at some examples in, in the Bible, throughout history, of things that are small but are powerful. And who we eat with may seem insignificant, but it has the potential to be incredibly powerful and transforming. Often we kind of think about what we eat, like, like do we get Maccas or do we get grilled or snits or do we get something else, like, like the food. But the food is not really the powerful thing. The powerful thing is who we eat with. And we're going to look at some examples of, of people who have broken the cultural, social expectations of who you should eat with, and it's actually been really, really powerful. We're going to look at how Jesus did this, the early church did this, and then we're going to kind of think about how we could do this and what this might look like um, in 2018, Australia, Kalinga, like right here. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll go through those three, um, and then we'll eat after that. We'll sing some more, and then we'll eat. So, Father, we just thank you that you're at work. Um, thank you that you've just been with us all week and you go before us into this next week. And we just take this time to um, just settle ourselves in your presence um, and just realign to your, your kingdom, um, to your mission, to your plans. And we just pray, God, that, yeah, your word would speak today. Um, thank you for the power of, of the table and food and fellowship. And we just ask you to show us how to be on your mission as well to, to love and to reach this world. We just pray this in your name. Amen. Cool. So we are going to start with Jesus. What I want to do is each of these give you some context, and then we're going to look at how th these people responded to the social sort of settings around eating. Because eating, again, is simple but powerful. And particularly when Jesus was walking the earth in first century Israel, there were lots of expectations and rules about eating. Uh, eating was like saying what you believe about God. Now, a really quick history of this is, is God brings, he comes to Abraham. He, God is wanting to reach the world, so he bring, makes this nation of people that they're supposed to reflect him, but they don't. They get corrupted with evil like everybody else. They get put out of the promised land. They get brought back in. And when Jesus is here, these people, the Israelites, God's people, are waiting to be delivered from the Romans. They're under Roman occupation. 
they're, they're not free. They're able to practice their religion, but they're, but they're under Roman rule. And what they're hoping for is one day God will come back and restore Israel. The true king will come back, the Messiah, the Christ, and he will restore, he will free them, he will overthrow the Romans, and Israel will be back to how it's supposed to be. And a certain group, particularly, the different groups had different ideas how this was going to happen, but a certain group, the Pharisees, believed that if people just followed God's law, which is the Torah and the Old Testament, then God would come back. God would redeem Israel. So what they would do is be very meticulous that people follow the law. And these were like moral commandments, but more than that, they're also like ritual and, and purity and food commandments. So who you ate with and how you ate was a really, really big deal. You had to wash your hands in certain ways. You had to wash utensils in certain ways. You could only eat certain foods. You could definitely not eat with certain people that are people that are unclean, people that are not ritually pure. And doing so would be, be terrible. Like, like this is going against the progression, which is to, to get things back to Israel. So the Pharisees had all these rules. And, and Jesus comes into this situation and Jesus just breaks so many of them. And it's makes people really upset, but it's incredibly powerful. I want to read you two stories. This first story is from Luke chapter 5. It says this, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Again, these tax collectors are working for the Romans. They're Jews, they're from Israel, but they're in the pocket basically with the Romans. They're making money because of the Roman occupation, so they're kind of traitors to the nation, so people hate them. On top of that, they're probably stealing people's money. So tax collectors, like we think tax collectors are not a big deal. It's like really person that nobody likes is what you need to think of. And follow me, Jesus said to Levi. And he got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet. So he had a big party for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. So he got all his friends together, all the other tax collectors, they're all hanging out, they're having a party, he invited Jesus. Again, Jesus went to heaps of parties. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Like, this is a big deal. They're upset that Jesus is doing that. It's even interesting, right? Like Luke like, says he was eating with tax collectors and others. But the Pharisees are like, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? These aren't just other people. These people are sinners. Like, we don't eat with them. Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus, by, by breaking these barriers and going and eating with people who are unclean, he would hang out with lepers who are unclean, he would go and eat with tax collectors, he would eat with sinners. He's making a statement about God and about his mission. And Jesus is saying, my mission is for these people. My mission is I'm, I'm coming to redeem sinners, people who are broken. It's not, the path is not that we have to get it all right and get all the rules right. The path is we believe and trust Jesus and Jesus comes to sinners. So just by this practice of eating, Jesus is making this powerful statement by eating with people who you're not supposed to eat with. Then there's this story that you might have heard before, the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19. This is it. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. So he's like in charge of all the other tax collectors. So if anyone's really hated, it's him. 
He, and on top of that, it says, and he was wealthy. He's a rich guy, tax collector, probably got most of his money by corruption. People don't like him. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. So he climbs up. He's interested in Jesus. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked down and said to him, he looked up, not up, not down, up. <laughs> not that short, <laughs> climb a tree and still look down. <laughs> he said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Again, this is not someone you eat with. But Jesus says, I'm coming to your house. Like Jesus just invites himself and he's going to go prepare the food. Again, this caused problems. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. These are not people that you're supposed to eat with, Jesus. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody of anything, I will pay that back four times the amount. So Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house, and Zacchaeus is transformed. This, this man who's corrupt, who's, who's rich, who probably oppresses other people, all of a sudden has changed. And he, and he comes back to God. And he changes into a man of generosity, he restores. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus again is saying, this is my mission. My mission is for the lost. My mission is for sinners, is for broken people who, who humble themselves, who recognize their need. And just by eating with him, there's this amazing transformation. God's grace, God's compassion, God's love and kindness are shown to Zacchaeus. This man who, who has done evil is forgiven and welcomed back. And we see in this context, right, of first century Israel, Jesus responds to these barriers by eating with sinners. He breaks them. And as he's doing that, he's showing God's grace and love is for all who receive him, just by who he's chosen to eat with. And again, they would have known Jesus' teaching. They would have known that Jesus does not approve of what they're doing. Jesus does not approve of evil at all or, or sin, but Jesus is with them. He wants to be close to them, and he calls them to himself as they are, simply by eating. We then see, as we look through history of the early church, the first Christians, so after Jesus dies on the cross for the sin of the world, he's alive, and then he has the church, and he commissions the church with this amazing task. The, the first believers of Jesus are to go to all the world and make disciples or apprentices of Jesus. They're going to spread this message so other people know about Jesus, other people know about his kingdom, his grace, his love. But they're up against the Roman Empire. This is a huge, difficult circumstance, right? Like, they're proclaiming that Jesus is king when Caesar is king. And if you do that, that's not going to go well. That's, that's dangerous. Again, these, this group of people, probably most of them not well-educated, most of them poor. And what, how are they going to do this? How are they going to reach the world? That's, that's a huge task. And the interesting thing is that they did it, and we, we looked at this in Acts, by the power of God. It's only by God. It's only by His Spirit. But when you look at the things that really shaped and changed them, a big part of it was simply eating, sharing life in homes, generosity to the poor, caring and loving each other. Mark says, puts it like this, the empire, the Roman Empire was undone not by a frontal military assault, 
not by a violent, subversive insurgency, but rather by the breaking of the humblest of foods, bread. He talks about the, the, the sign of the early church, that really the symbol of this community was the table. They would gather, they would share, and they would welcome people in. They would welcome the poor. Um, they, they, would, they would show generosity to strangers. So much so, and, and this led to people, but so many people becoming Christians because of this attractive community that there's this one um, emperor, um, Julian, who realizes what's happening and realizes that so many people are becoming Christians, but he didn't say they're becoming Christians. He said they're becoming atheists because they're not believing in the pagan gods. Therefore, they're becoming atheists. He says so many people are becoming atheists because of the generosity, because of how much these Christians care for the poor, because of how they welcome people in. We need to stop this. And he led, led, led this campaign to get the pagan priests and others to help the poor just as much. And it failed. It didn't work. But the, 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 the generosity and the love of this community was transforming. This is how Mike Frost puts it. He says the message they shared, that, so the early church, that God loved the world was patently, it means obviously, absurd to the average Roman. The pagan gods cared nothing for humankind. And yet in the miserable world of the Roman Empire, the Christians not only proclaimed the mercy of God, they demonstrated it. So they talked about God who loves the world, who died to save it, but they also showed it. They not only fed the poor, they welcomed all comers regardless of their ethnicity. It's this community of d diversity and love. They promoted liberating social relationships between the sexes and within families. Again, Roman families had this hierarchy that, that, that was not good and it was, it was transformed. The noblemen embraced the slave. They were literally the most surprising alternative society and their conduct raised an insatiable curiosity among the average Roman. The way that this group of people ate together and shared life together and, and cared for others outside of them was so attractive in a, in a world that was so devoid of love that people were drawn to it and people came to it. And again, on top of that, many of them are dying for their faith as well and continuing to hold on to Jesus. This is powerful transformation of the empire. This um, is described, this kind of countercultural community is described in Galatians as well. Paul talks about it the power of Jesus to break down these barriers again. He says, In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Again, the barriers that were there in this community, are, are some people are slaves and they're not treated as, as real humans. And some people are free and some people are rich and the differences between men and women are crazy. And this community, again, breaks those barriers by who they choose to eat with, by who they welcome to the table, by how they love each other and care for each other. And again, a simple act is so powerful and actually transforms a whole society. So see, the first Christians use this as a tool for mission, a transformational community showing love to all, caring for the poor, and sharing life around a table. Again, a small act that's powerful. So we're thinking, well, what could this look like for us? So we are in 2018, Australia, Kalanga, and we have a massive mission. Like, the mission is still to make disciples of all nations. The mission is still that all people come to see Jesus and know him and love him and follow his way, which is the true way to fullness of life. And it's getting increasingly difficult in Australia to do that. 
most, most around the place churches are not really growing in Australia. They're sort of going down. It's, there's, there's more of a hostility towards Christians. And on top of that, there's, there's more disconnection in society. This, is, this task, again, can start to feel bigger and bigger. And like, how are we going to do that? How, how are we, and, and there's also barriers and, and issues. How are we going to break them in the same way? And there's this book I read this week, most of it, and it was awesome. And it says this. It's called The Simplest Way to Change the World, Biblical Hospitality as a Way of Life. And again, it's the same principle that actually today we have an opportunity to use hospitality as the tool to shift and to transform the culture, to shift and transform people around us. It seems, seems like such a big thing, but perhaps a small practice might actually make a big impact. And what these guys talk about, there's, there's probably lots of ways that this could be done. And I suppose the, the, the question really is, how, how will history say that we responded in this moment? How did we respond to the, to the gospel, to the mission? But he gives two opportunities that we have. Again, opportunities to break barriers and cultural expectations, eat with different people, but do life in a different way that can actually be transforming. The first one he gives is this idea of relational depth, that in our culture, increasingly, people are lacking relational intimacy and depth, that it used to be, I think, um, that people would tend to know your neighbors. You have a community in your street, um, people would walk around, people would chat, people would be friendly, there'd be kids in the park, people would be out more. And, and there'd just be this sense of general community around the place or the village, and people would, would meet up more, especially before technology, right? Like, like you imagine that, it wasn't that long ago when iPhones didn't exist, iPads didn't, when the internet didn't exist. Kind of think, what did people do? How, how did you get anywhere? Like, like we, we live in this world that's changed rapidly, and because of that, and even because of technology as well, people are increasingly connected, but also decreasingly actually intimate and close. We kind of connect on social media, and, and someone likes a status or shares something, and there's a certain element of satisfaction, but it's not actual close relationship. It's not actually depth of relationship. And people really deep down are longing for that. That, that's what we're made for, to, to know God and to be known by God and to know each other and to live closely together. But this is really lacking in our society. Again, our homes are, are places of retreat for the most part. People drive their car into the, the garage, the door goes down, and you never see them again. And, and it's, just, it's just shut off with big fences, and that's your house. And then we have entertainment, so we just sort of sit and, and watch entertainment, and that's just life. What would it look like to break that barrier and become a community, I suppose, as a church that's, that's known for relational depth and intimacy? What would it look like to break the barriers in our neighborhoods and, and open our homes and turn our homes into places of relationship, of community, of love? What, what would it look like to welcome people in and, and, and listen and care and love, that there's an opportunity to actually provide for that need that we have as a community and then to welcome people into that. On top of that, with, with technology, there's, there's an opportunity to, to realize the, the negative impact it has and actually break some of the barriers. In this, this book, one of the things the guy said is, one of the most countercultural things you can do today is have a conversation with someone and don't check your phone. 
Like, just listen to them. Just, just be there. Just present. Like, what would that actually be like if, if you had a conversation with someone and you knew that they had your full attention, that, that you, they were listening, they were asking questions, that they're not going to be distracted and, and get a call or a message? Like, like that's rare. Like, like, most of the time, we'll be talking and interrupted, we're distracted, there's, there's things all over, and, and we don't have that depth of relationship. What would it look like if we, we, in our homes, we invited people in and listened and cared and shared life together? That there's a, there's a powerful opportunity there. On top of that, the other opportunity they talk about is that in our changing culture, there's, again, Christianity has, in, in a lot of ways, lost its place of prominence. It used to have more prominence. Now a nation is increasingly secular or post-Christian, and the voice of the church is not as loud as it used to be. And there's different ways people respond to that. Some, some ways is to just try and shout louder and, and make louder voices and try and get our voice to be heard. And often that can not be very helpful. Again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't speak, but sometimes then we can be portrayed quite negatively and, and misunderstood. And in the media, for the most part, probably doesn't really represent Christians very well. Uh, or, or people don't really understand and know what a Christian is all about and what the heart behind it is and what we actually believe. And often our society is, is also sort of polarizing. So people are, are not connected to people who are different, but then still just sort of arguing and, and fighting and, and just saying opinions. And it's just, it's not really this, this sort of conversations of, of grace and love and truth. So what would it look like to not go the direction that the society is going, but to break it, to do something different. What would it look like to instead, again, turn our homes or church or just, just have an openness of heart that, that welcomes people who are different, who disagree, who may think differently, and just to sit down at a table and to eat and to share life and to talk. And there's this amazing story of this, um, there's this lady called Rosaria Butterfield and she um, was a professor, I think she still is a professor, and she was an atheist, very anti-Christian. Um, and she, she was even writing papers, trying to um, just sort of defame the Bible or talk about just how terrible it is. And one time she, she wrote an article in the New York newspaper, and again, it was just a, a really against one sort of Christian movement. So again, again it's just sort of, it's like you often see in the media, like someone who's really against Christianity and they're, they're, they're writing against it. But the interesting thing was, there was a pastor who wrote a response to her article, and it was just this questioning, um, in, like interested, gracious response. And she was surprised by that, because again, her picture of Christians was just simple-minded, angry, like just like protesting, um, not, not like a loving, caring person at all. And, and he just offered this, this question to her and an invitation. And he invited her around to his house. And she, again, was doing this research that involved needing to understand the Bible better. So she said to herself, well, I need to understand this, so I might as well go around just for the sake of my research and spend some time with the pastor. And this man and his wife just welcomed her in and just shared life with her and just practiced hospitality. And she enjoyed it so much so that she came back. And she kept coming back. And they just grew this friendship. And he didn't like invite her to church or he didn't put pressure on her. He just shared life. He was just upfront about his faith. He would pray. He would talk about Jesus. But he just loved her as, as she is. And over two years, 
eventually she went through this massive transformation and came to know Jesus. And now she writes books. She goes around talking, like, like this amazing story. And she says her story is, is actually just came from radically ordinary hospitality. It's just eating a meal, inviting her around, sharing life. Again, that, that's, that's such a simple practice. But again, it breaks these barriers, who we eat with. But it can be a powerful tool for mission. These guys in this book summarize this, say, through her writing, Rosaria's story has reached thousands of people. And it all started with a kind and inquiring spirit and a simple dinner invitation. And again, this is, this is not at all saying we don't share Jesus with people. They're saying, what would it look like to focus on relationship, on hospitality, on providing space, and then we just share life. And our faith is our life, and it will come out. And we just share it, and we grow together. There's an opportunity we have in 2018 in Australia. So to, to actually break barriers, actually be people who provide relational depth, open our tables, open our homes, and a positive way forward in a changing culture. Again, all I'm kind of doing tonight is just giving ideas and just trying to portray this idea that actually such a simple practice of hospitality can be powerful. How that actually would work out um, is a journey to go on. Um, it's a journey that I'm kind of going on at the moment. I don't feel like I've gotten very far. Um, but I can see and I'm excited that this is, this is a path that I can see is, can be powerful. And actually, like, the idea of going out and, and just having to preach on the street or just going out and just trying to convert people it doesn't sound that appealing. The idea of inviting people to just share a meal, to share life, welcoming, just practicing hospitality, showing generosity, and from that, that's even, even just that is communicating the gospel, that God's kingdom is a kingdom of love, of grace, of welcome, and just the practice of that welcomes people into it, and then we can testify to it as well. So what we're really saying tonight is that these small things are powerful. I just want to finish up with this last quote, and then we're going we're gonna to take communion, and then we're going to eat together tonight as well and, and share in fellowship. But this is what Sky Jathani says about small things. He says this, We've fallen into the conventional thinking that a big mission demands big tactics. But we forget that in the economy of God's kingdom, big does not beget big. It's precisely the opposite. The overwhelming message of Jesus' life and teaching is that small begets big. We think we need to reach the world. We need to reach our culture that, that's sort of moving post-Christian. Like, like, how are we going to do it? We need a really big strategy. But he says this, Consider God's plan to redeem creation, big, is achieved through his incarnation as an impoverished baby, small. Jesus feeds thousands on a hillside, big, with just a few fish and loaves, small. Christ seeks to make disciples of all nations, big, and he starts with a handful of fishermen, small. Even Goliath, big, is defeated by David with a few stones, small. And again, inviting someone to dinner is pretty small. But in God's economy, in God's kingdom, he can take that and he can multiply. He can do something big and transforming. Jesus just goes to eat with these people and their lives are transformed. Something small can have big impact in the kingdom. And what would it look like if, as a community, we continue this practice of eating together and sharing and growing life together, but that we didn't keep it here, but that we went into our week with a heart and a spirit of hospitality, whether that's in our homes or our unis or our workplaces, this openness, this welcome, and this love 
what, what could happen if we're, if we're people who are, who are offering relational depth, if we're, if we're offering these conversations, if we're getting to know our neighbors and sharing life with them, like what could happen if we opened ourselves to that? Again, just little steps with God, trusting Him, walking by His Spirit. That, that, that could be a really small but powerful way forward in a, in a difficult situation that we find ourselves in. So what we're going to do tonight is, is, is as, we, as we finish up, we're going to respond with communion. Um, and as we do this, we, we come back, and I feel like, especially as Jesus eats with sinners this week, I've just been reminded just how much God is a God of compassion. God, God is full of compassion for people who are broken and, and, and people who are excluded people who are isolated. Imagine being in the first century and, and being a leper and everyone sees you as unclean and you can't go near people and you can't eat at the table. Maybe you've experienced that before where, where maybe even eating at a table is not a joyous like memory. Maybe it's a, it's a memory of, well, everyone outside of the table and I didn't get invited or I was excluded. A table can be a place of inclusion. It can also be a place of exclusion where people are pushed away and they're not welcome. And maybe that's been your experience. And Jesus, as he comes, he says, we are welcome in his kingdom as we are. He comes to sinners. He comes to the broken as they are. But his, he, he, again, he doesn't condone sin. He, he's, he doesn't leave us as we are. And we see that with Zacchaeus. He calls us to be transformed into his life. He loves us as we are, but because he loves us, he calls us to grow and to change and to, to not stay in the pathway of death or sin, but to walk in the pathway of life. And we see this most powerfully on the cross. And that's what we celebrate as we have communion. We remember that God is holy. God is a God of, of justice. God hates evil. God wants to rid the world of evil. He wants the world to be good and perfect again. But he loves people. He's full of compassion and grace. And there's this issue. How does God be just and holy, yet love broken, sinful people who are corrupt? And his solution is become a human. Live the perfect life. Take all the sin and the evil of the world on himself and bear it and die. And Jesus takes it. He takes our sin. He takes our evil. And he dies for it. And he defeats it. And then he rises from the dead. And now he calls us into his, us into his kingdom. And as, as we take communion, we realize there's this open invitation for us to come into his kingdom. That, that if we believe him, if we trust him, we surrender to his kingdom that, that we are in. That, that's it. We're in. And then he calls us on this journey that we don't stay where we are. That's not, that's not good for us. He doesn't want us to be stuck in our habits and, and, and issues with sin. And he, he wants to free us. So he calls us into freedom and to life as we follow him. So as we take communion, if you believe Jesus, we, we open the table. We share life. We, we just remember his forgiveness and his grace. And then we're going to actually keep going and, and, and eat together and share life together um, afterwards. So I'm going to pray. What we do here is um, if you believe Jesus, you come forward and just grab a, a, a cracker and just dip it in the juice and you can take it and uh, eat it when you're ready. 
We also have offering bags up there if you'd like to give. We can also give online um, if you'd like to give to the work here at the church too. So I'm going to pray, pray and then we'll, then we'll finish up. Yeah, Jesus, we just ask that um, you would shape us into people like you. You're, you're, you're a God of, of such gracious, generous love. Um, you're, you're courageous in that you, you, you leave heaven, uh, you, you left the, the safety of the, the cultural expectations, you ate with sinners, you upset people for the sake of love. And Jesus, we ask that you would, you would give us the same compassion, um, the same love, the same courage. Um, would you show us just, just the step forward from tonight where you may be leading us? Um, and we just thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness, for your mercy, that you love us as we are, you call us to yourself. And we just ask God, would you meet us here today? Would your Holy Spirit come? and bring your freedom and your life. And Father, just as we share dinner tonight, as we share life, would you grow us as a family, um, grow us as a, as, a, as a kingdom people to represent Jesus on the earth. Um, and we just pray this in your name.